This podcast is produced by Unedited. You have one pot of energy, you know, you don't have one pot of energy to go running and then another pot for family and then another pot for work. That, that all comes from one pot of energy. And if you are expending too much energy, struggling with your work life or arguing with your family or, you know, thinking about something else, it's no wonder you're too tired to go for a run because you've expended a lot of that energy worrying about the things. Hello and welcome to episode 180 of In The Moment with me, Alex Manzi. I'm a life coach who has previously battled with depression and anxiety and I use my learnings and experience to help you find more clarity and happiness in life. And each week on this podcast, we hear the stories and tips from some of the most inspirational people in the world, learning how to take the small steps every day to help improve your mental, emotional, physical and spiritual health. But before we jump in, I'm super excited to announce that my book, The Search for Clarity is out now and I've had so much amazing response to it so far. So I want to just shout out everyone who's bought the book and who has just sent me some incredible feedback on what they've learned from it and this book really shares my experiences and biggest learnings of going through living in a negative headspace to now living from a place of clarity and happiness and how you can do the same too so to get hold of a copy or for more information simply head to thedreamersdisease.co.uk forward slash clarity or kindle readers can get a version via the amazon store too so on this week's episode i am joined by flora beverly who is a food and fitness blogger a sustainability writer and a mental health advocate so you can imagine that we had a lot to talk about but one of the most striking parts of the conversation was about exercise and it being something that we should be doing for fun and not simply for the aesthetic purposes that we all kind of seek because we often fall into this trap of working out just because it makes us look better but when you actually start to exercise for the enjoyment of it you get loads more benefits from it and not just physically but mentally too and that's something i'm really big on so it was great to share this conversation with flora and during this conversation we also spoke about creating boundaries on social media creating time to rest and learning to let go of control so the aim of this podcast is to inspire so if you like what you hear in this episode then be sure to share it with a friend or spread the love but right now let's jump straight in and hear from flora hello flora welcome how are you I'm very well, thank you. Thank you for your time today. I appreciate it because I discovered you through Sophie Hellyer after, well, I had her on my podcast a couple months ago, I think it was now, and I was following her for a while and I just, I don't know how, I, I think she tagged you in a post or something and I started checking out your account. I was like, oh, wow, she's like really cool. Like, I saw what you're into. I was like, she just looks fascinating. I just started following your journey and this was like a few months ago and then the more I've kind of followed I was like oh right this is I really want to have a conversation because you just seem like you're always up to such interesting cool things in life um so thank you for being here well I'm glad it comes across like that that's a bit of a relief <laughs> <laughs> yeah I bet um, so to give the people who are listening a bit of a heads up about um yourself do you want to let them know a little bit about who you are and what you do Sure. So um, I'm Flora. I'm a food and fitness blogger, um, mental health advocate and sustainability writer. Um, I guess that's wearing a lot of hats. Uh, I do a lot of different things, have a lot of different interests. Um, something that I feel is quite difficult to convey on social media and especially Instagram is um, being multifaceted and having lots of different um, interests and opinions and all that kind of stuff. Um, but I try and do that through social media, through my Instagram, Twitter, blog, YouTube. Um, I've got it all really. Uh, but yeah, I really enjoy writing about sustainability, but primarily share health and fitness on my Instagram. Awesome. And, and I love the way that you said there that you've, there's so many different facets to what you do. And I'm really interested in how you find a balance in that because 
I'm similar in that I've got the podcast, I coach, um, I've done writing, I've got like Instagram, like all these different platforms and ways to put content out and different types of content. Like how do you find the balance in all of that as well as like balance in life as well? Um, well, I mean, in my life, all of these things come into play. So, you know, I don't spend all my time running and I don't spend all my time cooking recipes. I spend a lot of a lot of my day doing various different things. So um, in a way, it's kind of easy to share just what I'm doing, which involves all of those different facets to my personality and my interests as well. So um, hopefully that can come across. And I think with the advent of things like uh, Instagram stories where you can share everything you're well not everything you're doing but a lot of what you're doing day to day that has become a whole lot easier but then also um in terms of longer form content like my blog or youtube it's a lot easier to share um more detailed nuanced stuff that you definitely can't get into a twitter post or an instagram caption yeah and i think i think that's it right it's this i think part of it is knowing how to have fun with it isn't it as well as like not always making it feel like work and i feel like sometimes you can fall into the trap. Like I know I do all the time, fall into the trap of it just feeling like work. But you have to sit back and go, actually, no, do you know what? I started this type of content or I started writing about this or talking about this or sharing this because it's fun. And it's like trying, yeah. to, trying to bring the fun element back into it is like, mm-hmm. like one of the most important things, isn't it? Definitely. And I think that comes across on social media as well. Like if you are having fun with it and if you don't just treat it as a job, then people can relate to it a lot more because most people, for most people, social media isn't their job. And for most people doing sports, running, you know, health and fitness, that's not their job. So actually just having it as part of your life becomes a lot more relatable for people who are watching it. And, you know, as we all know, kind of authenticity and relatability is what people are looking for on social media more and more. Yeah. And I think it's like the other thing that I struggle with, I guess, is the boundaries because like spending a lot of time on social media is one thing but spending a lot of time on social media and like having that work hat on is almost like a whole new like level of like being in the depths of it. Right. And I think that one of the things that I've tried to really be strict with is putting boundaries in place in terms of like how much time I'm spending, what I'm doing, what I'm checking out, you know, accounts that I follow, who I'm responding to, why I'm responding to people, you know, all of that stuff. And I think it really helps, doesn't it? When it, when it, in terms of like just clearing your head with stuff, because I think when we do allow things to get on top of us and allow things to kind of really be like, I don't know, like a stressor, like a, you know, like a, mm-hmm. like something that we're going to react to badly. It, it become it, it takes the fun element out of it, doesn't it? So I think we have to have those boundaries in place. Like, right, actually I, I need, I need to have some enjoyment out of this. I can't be stressed every time I like log into my Instagram account or whatever it is. Yeah, no, definitely. I'm happy you brought up boundaries, actually, because I think they are lacking a lot on social media and and people think they have immediate access to your every action, your every thought and, um, you know, direct access to your phone as well. And if you allow people to do that, then they do. And um, in terms of mental health, I mean, when you have social media as your job, you need those sorts of boundaries because otherwise you're not going to be able to do it for a very long time. You know, I'm a, I do social media consultancy as well. And I've, done that for various brands before so I've been running my my own social media platforms as well as various other brands social media platforms so you're working like multiple jobs on social media and if you don't have those sorts of boundaries and um, rules that you have to stick by then it's really easy to become overwhelmed and the point is that it's fun and that it's sociable not that it takes you away from your friends and becomes your entire life Mm, yeah exactly and and because I'm aware that there's a lot of people who are probably listening who 
are like us that either use social media very regularly or use it for some kind of work purpose to make content to put things out what advice would you have around creating boundaries for yourself to protect your kind of energy when it comes to social media well i think there's a lot of advice i can give and whether or not i stick to it is probably a bit of a different matter you know it's really easy to give other people advice and then you know ignore it quite a lot but um time time boundaries um giving yourself time off your phone keeping your phone in your room for example in the morning if you're out if you're um in a particular room keeping your phone in a different room for set hours of the day so if you're trying to write or if you've got your own work on just keeping your phone away because if it's there even if it's in the corner of your eye it's distracting you're thinking about that rather than what you're supposed to be doing um but then also not allowing yourself to go on it first thing in the morning or last thing at night actually talking to someone rather than talking to someone through a phone um uh, you know, obviously her phone calls are one thing, but then just scrolling through social media, it's not sociable. It's not that it, it doesn't give you the long term benefits that having face to face or over the phone conversations with someone does give you. And then also, if you've got a big platform um, or any sort of platform on social media, I think being clear with your followers um, what your boundaries are. It's a really difficult thing to do, but I think it is so, so important. And the bigger your platform gets, the more important that is. And thankfully, I've finally seen people doing this online on social media. I've seen them putting down ground rules for their followers, um, you know, saying, if I'm talking about a particular topic, don't try and derail that topic in the comments. Don't message me, you know, argumentatively because you disagree with something that's my experience. If it's my lived experience, you can't disagree with it because this is how it is. Mm. And then just like all sorts of things, just putting the ground, um, ground rules in for your followers so that they know what to expect when they come to your page. And it just makes it easier for everyone. They know that they're not allowed to do that. And it protects your mental health as well and your um, energy. I, I say that it sounds a bit woo-woo, but it's literally your energy because you spend a lot of mental energy thinking about these things um, on social media. And uh, I've only just started to do that. And I've had Instagram for over eight years, nearly nine years now. And I've only just started putting down ground rules um, for my followers. And it's been difficult. And, you know, I've received backlash for it. But I think if if we're going to have healthy relationships with social media it is so important yeah for sure and i think especially that what i get a sense from your page as well is like there's there's a it's more than just like people following you there's like there's almost like a community around it as well and i yeah. think when when there is any kind of community you do need ground rules right you need uh, yeah. um if you go to you know any community group anywhere the first thing when you walk in they're like okay well welcome these are the rules we abide by and if you want to stick to them, that's cool. And then welcome, like you can stay and, and we can yeah. do whatever. And I think it's the same. I think we forget that just because there's an access and you can comment and all of these things that people can overstep what those boundaries and rules are. And you see a lot of people like uh, Grace Victory, is like a friend of mine has been on the podcast a couple of times. I noticed that she switched off her replies to her Insta stories because you can just imagine it's so easy for someone to just write something which then you know, triggers you, which then puts you in a bad mood. And then that person yeah. gets away of it scot-free because they've just fired off a comment or whatever. And it's, you know, so I think all of these things are super important, but I think also for me, and, and I'm having a bit of a weird week where like, I'm trying to rest as much as possible because I've pretty much been flat out 
since the beginning of lockdown so it's been however many months that is now i don't even know if call it five or six i actually i actually don't know it's a long time a long time <laughs> right um i've been flat out because i started like doing more coaching full-time i put more energy into the podcast um i've wrote and released a book and i've put all of these things out and i've got to a point where the last like couple of weekends i've just been like exhausted like energetically mm. mentally and I, I said to myself at the start this week right i'm going to give myself the week off obviously knowing that i had things like this recording to do and like some coaching sessions and stuff but can i do the minimal this week to try and protect my energy and treat it like a holiday within a working week so i've been like just lounging about watching tv and just trying to do things that i wouldn't normally do in like a working you know working week so how do you fit rest in, especially because with running as well, I can imagine that's only like as important as the runs itself, you know? Yeah, for sure. I think that's something that people forget when they start a new training plan. They always think that more is better. And it's something that I learned the hard way. More is not necessarily better. More is often a lot worse. Um, and, you know, I've, I've had my fair share of injuries. I've also um, struggled with overtraining in the past and um, rest is so important. And, Interestingly, learning about rest in um, the context of exercise and training has allowed me to apply that to everyday life as well and work and burnout. Um, you know, uh, productivity relies on rest as well, productivity and especially creativity. Your brain cannot be creative if it is exhausted and overworked. Um, and I was always wondering why, for example, when I was writing blog posts, I could do my best blog posts and come up with new ideas when I'm on holiday. And I'm always like, why can't I think of these things when I'm not on holiday? Why, why is my brain only coming up with them now when I don't want to be writing them? And of course, it's because I'm taking time out and because I'm not trying to be creative or trying to be productive. And it's a horrible irony that, that, you know, you probably most want to run when you're well rested, but you're not supposed to be running because you're resting and, and you're, you, you can be productive and creative when you're trying to take some time off. It's, it's an irony, but the irony is because rest is so important for both of those things, both training and um, productivity. And um, it's a thing that I have shared quite a lot recently is that rest is productive. Um, and with our culture today, I think especially as freelancers, mm. um, it's easy to think that you can just work the whole time because no one is setting your um, work hours and no one is telling you that you can go home now and, and then that's it. You leave your work at the office. Um, having worked a desk job, you know, that is kind of how it is for the most part, for most people. Um, but with freelance life, you can literally work until you die. Um, <laughs> day in, day out, weekends, evenings, mornings, you know, whatever it is, you can just work continuously and, and the work will never be finished. Um, so learning how to take rest is so important. Um, and I have finally got there, like I say, I think through learning about rest in training, and then I can apply those sorts of um, rules that I set myself also for my work work and creativity and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And I, I guess, do you, do you have the same thing? So I always find you were saying how when you're on holiday, you come up with like the best ideas. Yeah. Like, do you find that when you run as well? Because I find like when I'm yes. not at my laptop, like I might be in the shower or when I, you know, when we could or would go to gyms, for example, I'd always have like the best ideas and you're sort of like, oh, I've got nowhere to write this down now. And you just have to like <laughs> try and hang on yeah. to it. It's the worst or like just before I go to sleep and I'm sure this will be relatable for a lot of your listeners, you know, either just before you go to sleep or when you're out on a walk or out on a run, you suddenly think of all these ideas and you're like, I need to get back and I need to write that down. And then as soon as you get back, you're like, 
what was that? What was that amazing life-changing idea yeah. that I just thought about? It's like, oh well, I'm never going to remember that again. And and weirdly, this is actually kind of quite inceptiony. I um was out on a run the other day listening to uh, Run Pod mm-hmm. um, with, and it had Paula Radcliffe on it, and literally, um, I think she's called Jenny Falconer, and and um, Paula Radcliffe were literally discussing that. And then shortly after that moment, I had the best idea, obviously, in the entire world. And I was literally thinking, well, now that they've said that, now that they've said that I'm going to forget it, I will remember it because I've been reminded that I forget things. So I definitely got to remember it. And I was only like two kilometers from home. And of course, by the time I got back, I totally forgot. So um, either I'm going to start voice recording while I'm out on runs and my poor boyfriend's going to start receiving some very random out of breath voice recordings, or I'm going to have to carry some sort of notebook take a you know take a pause on my run and start writing things down yeah or start shouting at siri halfway through a run siri remind yeah. me to <laughs> yeah it's like, but it's so true and i think it comes back to what you were saying before isn't it of like when you actually create the space within your mind by resting by you know not trying to always be productive like you can actually be more productive and i think that's like a it's a really big message that i'm strong on is like actually you know, to be creative, you actually have to be disciplined at the same time, because although they might seem like opposites, like, well, how can you be disciplined and creative? It's like, if you're disciplined with your time and your energy and creating space and resting, then the creativity will flow through in the areas where you're not, you know, trying to be productive, like the runs, like for me, it's always the shower or the gym or whatever. And it's just, there's sometimes they're the best times. And and I always find that if, if I don't remember an idea, I think if it comes back to me a second time, I won't forget it. And then I'm like, okay, this is something I should explore, you know. Definitely. And um, my running coach, I'm very grateful. He is so hot on this subject. And a lot of kind of old school traditional running coaches are very much of the idea that running more is always better um, and that rest days are for the week or something along those lines. Um, But my running coach actually... He does a, a kind of quite similar stuff to what you do, actually, a lot of lifestyle coaching and how running can fit into your life rather than how your life can fit around running. And mm. that's been a game changer for me because I was always trying to cram in runs um, between other things that I was doing. Um, and actually what I realized is that I don't necessarily need to go for a run in that time. I just need to create the space to be able to go for a run. And once that becomes a habit, you know, whether you just go out for a walk in that hour or whatever it is that you do, once you've created space for yourself, then the run just kind of fits itself into that because that actually becomes your you time um, rather than just trying to cram it in wherever you can. Um, and I'm very grateful that he has that attitude because he's passed it on to me. Um, I think it's quite easy to, forget that you need to be kind to yourself mm. um cliched though it is um and having that reminder from someone who is your running coach has been very very helpful for me yeah and i, I think you it was just the other day you posted something about you'd started this august challenge you're like well day one was actually a rest day and i was like i love yeah. that because like why why can't day one be a rest day like that's still being productive for you know the month ahead that you've got which is you know I can't remember the exact number of kilometers you're trying to cover in that month, but it's like mind boggling. Like, I don't think I'd ever cover that yeah. much in a, <laughs> in a year. <laughs> sure you could. I'm sure you could. It's, it's 125 kilometers. And um, my point with that, so 125 is about 10% more than I usually do per month. Um, and the reason that I only did 10% more was because I wanted it to be able to fit into my everyday training regime rather than it being a, an end point in itself. And to that end, day one was a rest day because I'd run the day before and running two days in a row 
you know, well, it would have been three days in a row by that point is for me a surefire way to injure myself um, because mm. I'm not well rested. So my technique goes off a little bit. So I'm, you know, dropping my hips or running slightly wrong uh, just because I'm tired. And then day one, I'm injured. And then that's the August challenge over. So um, it takes discipline, like you say, to not go after a flying start when you've got this new brand spanking new challenge that you want to really hit the ground running and literally um so yeah taking a rest day can be difficult sometimes uh but it is definitely or at least for me it was definitely the right thing to do mm, and I, I love that the the idea of the the 10 percent more than what you would normally do because it's it's very relatable to the one percent rule which i always talk about which is like if you want incremental growth in your life in any area it could be fitness it could be running it could be mental health it could be career finances whatever like all you need to do is just add one percent each day and i think if you're i'm going to try and work this out if you're doing 10 percent over a month that's only 0.3333 whatever percent a day which is it is minimal if you break it down like that right it's like all you need to do is just cover that little bit extra every day to 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 cover the distance you want over the course of the 31 is it 31 day month yeah it is isn't it yeah which is you know <laughs> it, it breaks it down and makes it really simple and i think sometimes having those smaller more achievable goals make the bigger things way more achievable definitely and um like i mentioned in the post as well we're so used to seeing amazing transformations on instagram and seemingly instantaneous um goals that have been achieved and fastest known times and people's pbs and you look at them and you think oh that's happened overnight because that's the way that instagram portrays things um but what you need to remember is that that person who's done the fastest known time, you know, lands into John O'Groats, for example, um, which I think is happening again. Um, but yeah, literally happened like last week. You know, the fastest known time was set. Um, what you've got to remember is that although it seems like they've done that over lockdown, that's not true. They've been running for I don't even know how long, but probably a decade, probably mm. possibly even more. Um, you only see the outcome of that. And um, these sort of instantaneous transformations are usually either done over a very long time frame or they're not sustainable and they're not something that that person will be able to keep up for the rest of their life. Um, and you just got to remember that, you know, you might want things to happen overnight, but chances are if they do happen overnight, they're not going to last. And actually sustainable growth um, has to be slow. Yeah. And that's it. And that's, and that, that's what I love so much about, you know, whether you look at it as 10% by the end of the month or 1% a day is it breeds that mentality of like, just, just do the small things every day. Because if you're trying to, if you're trying to do a hundred percent every day, then a, you're going to probably exhaust yourself and b like I said, it's not going to last. So you'd, you'd rather have the, the smaller incremental change, which lasts longer over a longer period of time. Right. Um, so what other things then you mentioned your coach, have you, you learned, from him, um, not just perhaps for running, but things that you've managed to, to transition into your kind of lifestyle as well? Um, well, some running based ones are a lot about breathing, um, but that actually does translate quite well into everyday life. And I'm, you know, I'm very sciencey minded. So uh, I don't like just being told to breathe in a particular way and it will change my life. Um, I don't get that, you know, I've got to know the science behind something, why it is and, and how physiologically it adapts your body and, and your body can change. But um, we started doing uh, carbon dioxide tolerance tests every morning, which is, they look, I think there are a couple of different ways of doing it. But for me, it'd be a minute or two of slow breathing and then breathe all the way in as far as you can and then let your breath out as slow as possible and, and record how long it takes you to exhale that full breath um 
and what it taught me. So that was done for like from a fitness point of view but what it also tells you is how stressed out your body is Mm -hmm. um and whether you're suffering from um you know overtraining or uh stress from work or jet lag you know i went to india in the middle of doing that and the difference that being five hours five hours jet lag made on that i mean it practically halved my co2 tolerance um and and it's amazing just how that breathing exercise can tell you so much about your body And actually, I don't do it anymore. But if I think about it, if I just think about it, I can tell exactly what my number will be and what my CO2 tolerance will be just from thinking about it because I did it over the space of about a year. Um, So, yeah, I mean, it's something that was specifically for running, but actually it tells you quite a lot about your body um, and your mental health as well as your physical health. Mm. And what was it? Was that something that you were doing as like a daily um like routine like a practice you do every day to help with your breathing for running or was it just something you were doing specifically when you trained um every day um and it was a kind of check-in thing that i did before i did anything so i'd literally wake up sit up do that and that's the first thing that i do and i'd say like regardless um irrespective of the outcomes of that actually starting the day like that was pretty nice <laughs> um usually it's a little bit more rushed and stressful because mm-hmm. you know i i most of the time when outside of lockdown times i live in london and have oh you know i might have an event in the morning or a workout planned or a meeting to get to or whatever it is you know like we all do um and mornings can be quite rushed whereas doing that the first thing in the day you know i might have to get up five minutes earlier ten minutes earlier but starting the day slowly is one of the best things that I've learned from that but then also over lockdown as well I start the day very slowly and I absolutely love it <laughs> it's yeah. been a game changer for my stress levels for sure yeah it's, it's like I'm so big on morning routines like you know regular listeners were probably sick of the amount of time I mention it but it's like <laughs> I always like give myself an hour and a half in the morning to just ease into the day and that might be you know doing some stretching or doing like an online workout some meditation have my breakfast my shower like do some reading whatever it is before I've even looked at my phone because like, I feel like that moment where you first look at your phone is when you're sort of clocking in for the day of like just yeah. the, you know for everything else to kick in like it starts to think and it starts your brain going oh I've got this to do and this is my to-do list and I've got this and that and this person's doing that and it all starts I think when you look at your phone so I always yeah, yeah I'm so big on that that morning of just like being slower and still like and I think you know I know you're talking about specific breathing techniques but I think meditation has been incredible for me for that and just having 10 15 minutes where you're just mm. still and it just helps you recognize you know what you're saying it's actually it's, it's nice to do that because we don't do it yeah no for sure and actually although i don't do the breathing um things at the moment i probably will start it back up next time i'm training for a race but at the moment um we do a garden tour every morning mm. and you know i say garden tour as if it's just like massive gun it's not but we have we've we spent a lot of lockdown doing it up and there's a lot of transformation photos my boyfriend used to be a landscape gardener so you know the amount of stuff that we've done is actually quite cool um and so every morning now we go downstairs we make ourselves a decaf mocha a little bit bougie but it's great um and then head out and do a, a little tour of the garden it takes about 10 minutes because we do it incredibly slowly and just literally just listening to the birds and whether it's raining or sunny or whatever, 
we just go out and it is the most wonderful thing. I actually shared it a couple of times on my YouTube mm. as well. And, and some other people have, have really enjoyed it as well. Um, but, you know, we go and check on the veg patch and go and see how the baby birds are doing and all of this kind of stuff. And it is really wonderful. And I will definitely miss it when I go back to London. Yeah, I was going to say, right, it's going to be a big difference <laughs> when you're, you're in a place which doesn't have such a, a lovely garden or whatever, right? And it's, I think it's... <laughs> I'm going to have to... I, I'm going to have to go and talk to my house plants. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Sitting there talking to your cacti, like, hello, good morning. Yeah. You need some water. No, thank you. <laughs> yeah. It's so funny. But I think that, that getting out in nature as well, especially, especially in the morning, is important. If you've got, if you know, if you're lucky enough to have a place like a garden or a park near you or something, it's, again, mm. it breathes that, that stillness into your life because you look around and you notice, like, the plants are just there and they're always there and they're just doing their thing. And it's like when you tap into that, particularly in the morning or even in the evening to help unwind, it's really powerful. It's really powerful. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. No, I love it. Yeah. And so what inspired this journey for you then in terms of like getting into to running and, and sort of taking it on as a hobby slash kind of full-time slash kind of, you know, fun slash lifestyle thing? Um, so my fitness journey, quote unquote, um, everyone hates the phrase, but I guess it kind of is for me. Um, my reasons for doing fitness have changed a lot since I started it. Um, when I, about 10 years ago, um, yeah, when I was about 15, 16, I guess, um, I started doing exercise because I wanted to lose weight. You know, the same reason that so many people start doing exercise. Um, and for me, I mean, I didn't lose any weight. I can practically look at a barbell and gain muscle. I just, there's something about my body that just puts on muscle so easily. So obviously I started um, training. I started lifting weights. I started doing exercise and I gained weight, um, which was pretty disheartening for me. Not that I needed to lose weight at all, obviously. Um, but, but it was pretty disheartening for me. Um, but then I suddenly started realizing that I was still going to the gym, even though it wasn't having the effect that I wanted it to have. And I was like, well, why am I still going to the gym? And why am I still going on these runs that I hated, by the way, um, if, if they're not actually, you know, helping me in the way that I want them to help me. And then I realized, actually, when I came back from the gym, or when I came back from one of my runs, or whatever it was, I felt really positive for like, the first time that week, I, I struggled quite badly with depression and, and mental health issues when I was younger basically from the age of like 11 or 12 um and fitness was a massive help totally by accident um in my mid-teenage years um then I started playing swash competitively um in the national schools championship back when I was 17 years old um and that was my introduction to training for fun rather than training for any aesthetic goals and that was a total game changer for me um because I was no longer doing it for this end point, I was doing it literally just because I enjoyed it. And that was, um, I mean, it, it, I guess it kind of changed my life. Um, again, another cliche, but I guess it did because actually it's, it's my job now, um, doing fitness is my job. And, and hopefully I really hope that I've helped other people find their reason to do fitness as well outside of simply aesthetic goals. I think aesthetic goals are kind of fine to have so long as it's not the only reason that you're going to the gym um, or going for a run or whatever. Like I said, you know, I started training because I had those aesthetic goals and it was through that that I discovered that I actually really enjoyed it. 
um, after I then left school, I, um, well, at school I did kind of athletics, uh, horse riding, um, squash, running. I kind of did a little bit of everything. Um, and after I left, I kept up the squash and I kept up the running. And the great thing about running is that it doesn't require any equipment, really. You need a pair of trainers. And if you're a gal, you need a good sports bra. And then that's it. You can just go out the door wherever you are. And it's, it, it should be so accessible for everyone. Um, and that's why I kind of took that up in a bigger way than I was before. Um, and then I did that uh, throughout. I was working when I was 18, 19 years old um, in between school and university. And I was working in Germany and then I was working in Paris. And I kind of explored those cities through running. Mm. And I absolutely, like I hated running itself, but like we mentioned earlier, actually having a good view um, and having uh exploring somewhere having kind of something to focus on other than the fact that you're running and that you hate it is actually a really good way of forgetting the fact that you're running and that you hate it um and then you actually end up you know you've run 10k and you haven't even really realized yeah. and then i went to university and i joined the athletics and cross-country club and um yeah i guess it's all kind of history since then because it's all recorded on my social media channels <laughs> yeah i love that I, lo <laughs> I love the idea of falling into it accidentally because i feel like um, you know, I think, I think for guys, it's maybe different because a lot of guys, and this is obviously a massive generalization, but a lot of guys will play sports when they're younger, football, rugby, cricket, you know, you name it, right. There's, there's, there's a number of tennis. There's a number of sports that, that the boys will play in school, outside of school as hobby with friends in, in teams. And I think a lot of the time girls don't, they, they don't necessarily have that sport element in terms of like doing fitness for fun, as you mentioned, right. It becomes mm. more of a if you're working out, it's for aesthetic or it's for another reason, right? So how was it for you when you when you got into that journey? Did you feel like you were kind of, I don't know how to quite word this, but like different in terms of like being someone who's doing a sport for fun rather than just like, you know, you know, working out because you have, you have to mm. in inverted commas, or, mm. you know, you're, you're going to a ballet class or that, you know, you're doing something that's a bit more like sporty, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, that's a great question. And actually through the time that I have been doing fitness and recording it on my social media, I have seen a massive shift in the attitudes towards women doing sports. Um, there's still some way to go, you know, especially with um, competitive sports, they're viewed in quite different lights and, Quite frankly, I don't really know why other than, I guess, tradition. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, like when I first started out at the gym, no one else would really go to the gym. People would try and get out of PE class. People would do their utmost to not have to work out. Um, and I don't really know why, because so many of them were so good at it. Like I would have killed to have their sorts of skills, like on the hockey pitch or the netball or whatever it is. Um, I was so bad at team sports in fact I still probably I haven't given them a go in a very long time for a good reason but I probably still am absolutely terrible at them and I think that was one of the reasons that it took me so long to find my sport because squash is kind of fairly niche when it comes to doing that at school like it's not something that many people do um, but thankfully I think there's been a total attitude shift towards um, women working out and now um, there's kind of, it's, it's slightly multifaceted so on the one hand, um, working out for non-aesthetic goals has become something to aspire to. People think it's 
kind of cool, quote unquote, to to train for something. You know, running marathons have become a lot more popular. The rise of ultra marathons has been insane in the last five years. Like running the marathon de Sab was literally for the insane and the professional um, mm-hmm. five plus years ago. And now you can get people in the city signing up for it. You know, people who are accountants, bankers, just deciding to do this crazy desert ultra marathon on holiday because they want to do something like that and and five ten years ago that never would have happened and and thankfully I think that's trickled down to young girls and women um deciding that they want to do fitness because it's actually something that people do and it's actually seen in quite positive light and the other the flip side to that is that um I don't know which came first but healthy um fit looking bodies are now seen as um attractive and more desirable Mm -hmm. um and of course you can't see health health is not something that is abs or you know toned thighs or toned stomach like that is not an indicator of health but it has certainly helped um people decide to do fitness and and sports um because they're not scared of bulking up which is something that i saw so often um at school you know people would join the cross-country team or whatever because they had to do a sport and then they'd come um back to back into school and say like I think my calves getting really big and I'd look at them be like you're literally a size like six what are you on about but but growing muscle back then was seen as unattractive and manly um whereas now I think there's a little bit of that but for the most part growing muscle is seen as being strong and powerful and having um yeah I don't know having that that sort of thing is seen as a good thing and I think that really helps although I say that aesthetics you know shouldn't be your main reason to train it has definitely helped more people get into fitness because it's seen as a positive thing rather than negative thing I think I'm also especially um sensitive to that because when I was a young teenager I was teased for having such big muscly thighs um probably due to me doing gymnastics when I was younger it just like you get muscly thighs when you do gymnastics and there's nothing you can do about it. And, and I still have them now, even though I don't really, I haven't lifted like for the whole of lockdown and people say, you know, do you do a lot of lifting? And I'm like, no, I haven't touched a barbell or any sort of weight in five, six months now. Mm. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think um, the attitudes towards fitness and health have changed a lot and that's been massively beneficial for people's um, mental as well as physical health. Yeah. And I think, I think for me, I think you touched on it right at the very beginning, the mental health side of it is, is, is almost as important as the physical health of it, because I find that the, when I started working out and I was very late to the working out scene and, or doing any sort of exercise outside mm-hmm. of playing football, um, I didn't start until I was like 28 and I was like, I, I was approaching, obviously approaching 30 and I was like, right, when I get to my fifth birthday, I want to be in like the best possible like physical condition I can be in and doesn't mean I'm going to have the body of a God or whatever, but I want to make sure that my my physical, um, is like feeling good. You know, I don't want to be hitting 30, like not fit basically. So I started going to the gym more and I noticed it straight away, the more I was working out and that could be a, this could be a byproduct of the chemicals that your body releases while you're working out. But also, you know, coming back to what we were saying earlier about creating space and time for yourself to slow down. I just instantly felt this lift within my mood and my mind. And, and I was having more, you know, positive thoughts, more interesting, creative ideas and, and lots of stuff started mm. happening off the back of it. And I think that that is part of the, 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 the journey with, with, with 
you know, doing some sort of exercise that we often leave out. We, we see the, the physical goals and, you know, the, like what you're saying, you, you get a bit more muscular or whatever it is, but yeah, forget that. Like what's also going on inside is as important. Definitely. And I also think that many of the skills that you learn in training for something um, or getting fit are also transferable to your everyday life. Like for example, having the tenacity and the drive to go to the gym every other day or every day or whatever it is, or, you know, starting a training program for something you don't ever think you're going to be able to complete. Like that is really hard to do. There's that end goal, but you don't ever know if you're going to be able to get there. And then once you manage to do that, and once you manage to train for it, whether or not, you know, you complete the actual thing, you've done three months of intense Mm -hmm. training for something. And that is an incredible feat in and of itself. And that sort of confidence, the confidence that that gives you, um, you know, means that you can apply that to the rest of your life. And um, I think that's been really helpful for me as well. And you don't really notice it. And then three years later, you're like, oh, I never would have asked for that pay rise before. I never would have had the confidence to do that before. And you can kind of put at least some of that down to um, fitness and and training. Yeah. And what what areas then have you seen that kind of um, positive transition in your life between like what you've learned running and about yourself while you're running that's there's then um uh, transitioned over to your like normal day-to-day life um it's a good question um for me there's a quite a lot of things challenges that i've taken part in that i never thought i'd be able to do and i probably don't come across as someone who's lacking in confidence but in reality, you know, we all are in some aspects of our lives. And I definitely, definitely would put myself in that category. Um, but, you know, I've done two boxing fights, both of which I thought I would um, totally fail in. Um, I didn't even think, I didn't even have the courage to go to them. Um, and then I, and I, and I rocked up and I did the fights and I won both of them, even though the winning wasn't the important thing, but the, the fighting was the important thing. Um, and I did them and I never thought I could do them. And that has allowed me to sign up to more things that I never thought I could do, both in fitness and outside of them as well. And putting myself out there on social media, again, people probably think it comes naturally to me. It doesn't. It really, really doesn't. And doing it for eight plus years doesn't really help with that because now I've got over, you know, probably overall about 150,000 people watching what I do. Whereas at the beginning, there was nothing riding on me putting myself out Mm. there. Whereas now the stakes feel so much higher, but I do feel like training for these things and, and completing them has given me a little bit of confidence to say, Oh no, actually I can do those things. And I never thought that I could when I signed up to them. I never thought I'd be able to complete them. And then I did them and that's cool. And now I can apply that to the rest of my life. Yeah. And I think it's, it's, there's a certain mental fortitude, isn't it? That comes with, I think particularly running, right. And we were kind of talking about a bit before we hit record was like, you can go out for a run and you can get like 200 meters in and you're like, Oh my God, I'm shattered. I like, I want to go back. And you you sort of have that voice that tells yourself, well, no, you can't like you have to, you have to keep going. And I think there's a lot that you can learn about life. And I think it's actually Will Smith. He's got that video where he talks about what he's learned from running is like, there's always going to be that voice telling you like, like, stop, stop, like, you know, stop. I don't want to go anymore. But then you have to push yourself beyond that voice. And I think the lessons you can learn just in that, in every other area of your life is that when something feels uncomfortable, like 
it's fine to push through it because it might be yeah. something better at the end or you might you might achieve something or it might help you un, unlock something about yourself i think it's great and i think running particularly for me is one of the sports and i don't run as we were talking about earlier like <laughs> i think it's one of the sports where you really have to apply that because it's you and it's only you and the voice in your head and whatever you're listening to in your ears and it's that's the only thing that's getting you through so i think if you if you're able to navigate your way through that that's going to carry you so far in life, be it, you know, relationships, career, whatever, it's going to carry you so far. Definitely. I have absolutely found that. And it wasn't until listening to other people describing that, that I suddenly realized, oh my God, that the exact same thing has happened to me. And now I hear all the time on podcasts, I hear all the time from people from, you know, the people who have only just started running to people like Paula Radcliffe, who, you know, has obviously been running since she was what, like four or five years Mm. old. Um, I think it's so relatable for everyone and I also don't think it's just about running you know like you say you don't you're not you know you don't run a huge amount but doing any sort of training regime or any sort of something where you have to put in the effort day in day out it's all transferable to other parts of your life and that's the great thing about it you know there is something out there for everyone Um, and I'm sure people come to my page and think oh well you know I'm not a runner you know maybe I, well, I won't follow her maybe it's not relatable to me or whatever it is but I'm not just talking about running when I'm talking about these things mm-hmm. I'm talking about so many different things and you know make it relate to whatever in your life whatever you like <laughs> yeah and that's it and I think that's the key is like taking the, the learnings from other people as well as yourself and, and knowing how to apply them to your life and I think another thing that I kind of wanted to touch on with you is your kind of journey with food right because you're you're quite big in like you said in recipes and stuff and i noticed there was a post you did a couple of weeks ago where you put up a picture of some pizza and you you mentioned in the comment that you used to have a weird relationship with pizza is like the idea of a slice would like make you think you were getting fat um so how how's that kind of journey with with eating a food and obviously no you, you you stick to a vegan diet like how's that journey for you developed over time um, yes. Yeah, so what I was referring to was um, the eating disorder that I had when I was about 17, 18 years old. Um, yeah, it was it was difficult. I mean, that was basically just a symptom of a lot of other stresses that I had in my life. And unfortunately, so many people go through a very, very similar experience, um, whether diagnosed or not. Um, thankfully, I feel like my attitude towards food now is actually better than it was before I even had Mm. that disorder. Um, And it seems weird to say, but I wouldn't change a thing. You know, I I actually had to go through that really, really difficult experience um, that went on for several years. Um, I probably didn't actually consider myself recovered until I was about 21 or something Mm, like that. So, um, and, and for many people, they can't ever consider themselves recovered, um, unfortunately. But actually, the amount of mental effort that you have to put into learning about food and how food actually is fuel and how food is good for you and means that you can do the things that you want to do. Um, yeah, you, can, you, you learn all that stuff when you're recovering from an eating disorder because you have to to survive. And actually, you can kind of put that information to good use Um, And for me, like I said, I feel like I have such a healthy attitude towards eating and food now. And I never, ever deprive myself of of anything when it comes to food. So um, I'm grateful for that experience. And I hope to be able to share um, some of the things I've learned from that 
with people on social media um, and it's it's difficult because everyone's experience is individual and um, I can only share my own experience and I can't give advice you know I'm not a mental health professional and it is such a sensitive topic mm-hmm. um, and you can say the wrong thing and it, it can go down badly with someone and then they relapse and that's a lot of responsibility to have so I don't ever want to start sharing advice per se but I hope that I can help people with some of the stuff that I've learned about myself um, during that time. And I have to say, like, food is one of the greatest joys in life and recovering was probably um, way, way better than the boxing fights than I did, way better than, you know, ultra marathons, marathons, all of that kind of stuff. Recovery was the best thing that I've ever done for my entire life. Um, and I and I steadfastly stand by that. And I think, you know, if anyone else is struggling, I hope to be able to provide at least some support, if not um, practical advice. Yeah, I love that. And what would be some of the the learnings that you made then for yourself um, through that period? Um, well, the first one is about food being fuel and not something to be feared. Um, and it seems easy to say when you're in the midst of an eating disorder, it's impossible to understand. But um, I kind of thought about it in terms, this, this probably seems really stupid, but I thought about it in terms of um, like animals that are, are particularly athletic basically and I was like well they have to eat and when they eat they can convert that into muscle and then they, that means that they can go and do the things that they really love to do um you know if you look at racehorses they've got to have the best diet because they've got to go out and race these long distances or whatever it is and, and they're at the top of their game and they have to eat loads of food and same with human athletes as well you know they eat a lot of food it's like, it's clearly not that food is something to be scared of food for them is the way that they can manage the things that they're the incredibly strenuous thing that they're doing. And I was trying to be a little bit more like that. You know, I really wanted to be athletic and I really wanted to be good at squash um, at the time. Um, but to be honest, I wasn't eating enough food to ever gain any muscle. And I wasn't eating enough food to have the energy to go to my training sessions. So think reframing food as energy and fuel rather than something that was so caught up in emotion was probably one of the first mm-hmm. things that helped me now food has a lot of emotion in a in a positive sense because um you know for example making pizzas with my boyfriend is like one of the best things that has happened during lockdown being able to spend a friday evening you know carefully placing bits of mushrooms on a pizza and making smiley faces and like it seems so kind of sad in a way but actually it's the small pleasures and and food is something that you have to deal with or enjoy three times a day um and I decided um over a lot of years that it was something I wanted to enjoy and not to just deal with yeah and I think that's 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 super important it's like I've I've my ex-girlfriend from many years ago was was recovering from eating disorder and and I remember we were having similar conversations where she was trying to understand the relationship with food in terms of like I said, it being fuel for your body as opposed to something to be scared of because it's quite easy to slip into that side of it where it looks and feels scary because of, mm. you know, all of these horrible connotations that we're taught about food and, you know, carbs and, you know, all of this stuff. And it's actually, if you look at it from the other side, like what, what is it that your body needs to survive and to fuel itself, be it, you know, whether you're being quite active like yourself or whether you're just living a day-to-day life, like you need to nourish your body in the best way possible so that you can be the best you can be right and i, I think that's yeah. such a super important like reshaping of the way we see yeah. foods especially yeah and letting go of control and trusting mm. the process is i mean they're two of the hardest things for 
anyone with mental health issues in general, but especially with eating disorders, letting go of control is literally, the, I mean, it's the reason most people have eating disorders is, is an element. It gives them an element of control um, in what is quite an uncontrollable world. Um, but letting that go has, has to be done um, for most people. And now, I mean, I am quite a control freak. You know, I, I do quite enjoy to have having everything as I like it, you know, at the time that I like it. Um, but it taught me a very difficult lesson because if you don't let go of control, you know, you could die. Um, and I didn't want that either. So mm -hmm. it's, it's something that you just have to handle. And in the end, it probably gives you a lot of good life skills that you can apply to other things as well, you know, and, and, um, it seems stupid to think, you know, it's all just, it's all just a learning experience, but in a way it is, you know, everything that happens to us in life is a learning experience, um, for better or for worse. Uh, and you just, I think framing it as that rather than like, why me can actually be very valuable in being able to, um, kind of get over it in your head, I guess. And I don't mean that in a horrible way. Um, you know, it's, it's not something you just get over. Of course I get that. But at the same time, if you if you spend your whole life hung up on it, then it takes up all your mental energy and mm. you can't spend time doing the other things that you love to do. And, and that is a waste in my eyes of a life. Yeah, for sure. And I think what you're referring to there is the kind of letting go of the stories that we have around certain things. It's not necessarily yeah. just, you know, just be better. It's like there's, there's yeah. certain stories that you've developed over time that have got you to that position and that place to have that relationship with food or whatever it may be. And it's about learning how to recognize what that story is and learning to let the story go so that you can then, yeah. you know, move forward. And I think that's, yeah, really powerful. And I, and I was wondering there while you were sort of describing that, if you've got any tips for um, just motivation in general, because I feel like motivation is a big part of be it trying to get over a, a hurdle in life or trying to recover from something or whether you're, you know, got challenges be it running challenge or be it a challenge at work, whatever, like what tips have you got on, on motivation that you could share? Um, well, different things work for different people. Um, and to be honest, like some things I find really motivating in one moment and then the next day I'm like, what was that? I hate that. Um, but thinking of where I want to be in three months or even, you know, one month's time. Um, I think when you when you do suffer from mental health issues, it can be really hard to look that long into the future because you've got no idea what's going on. And you can't even figure out what you're going to do at lunchtime, let alone mm. three months time. But just thinking where you want to see yourself in a month's time or three months time or six months time or whatever it is, can be really valuable. Um, at least, you know, especially when you're looking at sports, when you're trying to think about the training that you're going to do or the rest days you're going to take or the eat, you know, the food that you're going to eat. Um, if every decision, if every decision that you make is to get to that goal, then you're going to get to that goal. Um, and that can be really helpful for trying to make those decisions today. It doesn't feel so far off in the end. Um, if you're thinking about that every single day. Um, and like certainly when I was training for boxing fights or when I was training for the marathon, um, I had that end goal in sight. And so it's, it's less ephemeral. It's more tangible. Um, and that means that everything that you do is for that end goal. Um, and then some other, other motivational things. Um, I find having friends or at least people who can support you around whatever you're doing is invaluable. Um, even if it's not to talk about that thing, even if it's just to get some weight off your chest for whatever reason and, 
um, being able to lean on people is very, very important. Mm. Um, and I feel very lucky to have some pretty close friends. Um, and, you know, we can talk about anything at any point. And even if I don't feel like I can talk to them about running, for example, I can get some, I can rant to them about work. And then that means that I'm no longer stressing about work, which gives me more energy to go for that run. You know, it, it, it's all connected. It's all related. Um, and I think people forget that, you know, when you're training for a marathon or whatever it is you're training for, you have one pot of energy. You know, you don't have one pot of energy to go running and then another pot for family and then another pot for work. That's, that all comes from one pot of energy. And if you are expending too much energy struggling with your work life or arguing with your family or, you know, thinking about something else, it's no wonder you're too tired to go for a run because you've mm -hmm. expended a lot of that energy worrying about other things. So taking a load off your plate can be really valuable in finding the energy to motivate yourself um, in, in, in a sense. Yeah. Yeah. Love that. And I think the only thing I would really add on top of that is kind of what we were talking about earlier, really about just breaking things down into really simple, achievable mm -hmm. goals, because it can be overwhelming, you know, if you're trying to train for a marathon, as an example, it's like, oh, damn, I've got to run 26 point whatever miles it is. Like, that's yeah. crazy. Like, I can't even think about walking that. But if you break it down into the achievable goals and ways that you can get yourself to reach in that distance while you're running, like, it makes it a lot more achievable. Like, just start with one kilometer, like, you yeah. know, start with one mile and then build it up and go from there. And I think that's, that's something that's really helped me through my life is just adding those little wins 1% wins everywhere is, is super powerful. Yeah, absolutely. And things do seem really overwhelming sometimes. But <clears throat> if you take running as an example, sometimes when I really, really, really don't want to go for a run, I'll get dressed into my running clothes. And then I'll say, okay, well, I'll just get to the end of the road. And if I don't fancy it, then I can come around and just go straight back home again. And I will tell you in the time that I've been running, I have done that once, <laughs> only once ever. Because by the time I'm out, actually, I'm kind of like, this is nice. I'm no longer sitting worrying about this run. I'm actually just out on the run. And then all your worries go away. And you're, I, I think we, as humans, we are made to move our bodies in whatever capacity, in whatever way that is. Um, so, you know, by the time you actually get to the end of the road, chances are you'll actually really want to go for that run. And if you don't, that's absolutely fine. You probably needed a rest day in the first place so you can just go back home and chill out with a cup of tea on the sofa. Yeah, exactly. I always find that if it's, it's almost like the the thought of going to the gym or for the run or doing the thing or even sometimes just putting on the, the clothes to go is like the hardest yeah. part. Once you've got them on, you're yeah. like, well, I'm ready now. I might as well, I might as well yeah. go. Um, yeah. I've got, I got two final questions for you, which kind of everyone gets to answer uh, on the podcast. So the first one is if we could go back in time and speak to a younger version of yourself, a younger Flora, what three bits of advice would you give yourself to start doing from that moment? The first one would be to live more in the moment um, and worry less about the future. Um, there's one thing planning for the future. It's another thing worrying about things that you cannot change in the future. Um, and that's still something that I cannot get right all the time uh, it's still something I struggle with quite a lot um, so yes worry less about the future and live in the moment the next one would be being nice is cool um, whatever you may feel at school um, being an asshole to people may make you popular in some circumstances but in general that's not the way that the world works and in general just being nice is the way forwards 
um, and I try to live by that every day now. And the last one, which I still need to listen to a little bit more, is that it's impossible for everyone to like you, and um, there's no use spending your energy trying to get people to do so because they won't. Um, and your energy could be better spent doing nice things for nice people who already like you and actually just living your best life. Um, cliche, don't may sound. Yeah, not everyone's going to like you, and that's fine. Yeah, that, and it reminds me of one of my favorite quotes, actually, which is, um, those who matter don't mind and those who mind don't matter. And I think it's, yes. you know, it's a great, it's a great little quote to, to remind you of that, isn't it? Um, and then final question for you is what does happiness mean to you? That's really difficult to answer. I wish you'd prepared me with that question. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, I'm going to have to say just words because it's a really ephemeral, um, uh, feeling that, that can't really be described because so many different things lead to happiness. So, you know, it can't really be described in, in a sentence or, you know, whatever, but I'd say, um, nature, family, friends. That's probably it. Oh, food. always I love that I love that Uh, well I thank you so much for the time it's been a real real pleasure and to sign out can you just let people know where they can find you online where they can keep up to date with your movements and all of that absolutely so um, most of my uh, platform can be found through my Instagram which is at foodfitnessflora Um, I have a blog as well, which is foodfitnessflora.blog. I have a YouTube, which is Flora Beverly, um, and a Twitter, which you can find, I mean, you can find all of it through my Instagram and the link in bio, of course. Awesome. Well, thank you for the time today. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me on. So there we have it. I hope that you enjoyed this episode with Flora. And I just think there's a lot to take from this episode, whether it's, you know, talking about time to rest or creating space for yourself to be creative or learning to let go of control. I think there's so much in this episode. And if you like what you heard and you really took some value from it, then please be sure to leave a review or even better still hit the subscribe button so that you can get the latest episode straight to your phone. And if you know someone who you think would really benefit from hearing this episode, then be sure to send them the link or a screenshot because it's really important that we continue to spread the positive vibes and messages of episodes like this one. I started this podcast to help inspire a positive change and you can also be a part of that by sharing the love with someone you know. So as ever, you can connect with me on Instagram at IamAlexManzi, pop over and say hello. And if you want more information on my book, The Search for Clarity, be sure to head to thedreamersdisease.co.uk forward slash clarity for more. So thank you for listening and I will see you for the next episode. This podcast is produced by Unedited.